0: In the aftermath of the Holocaust, hundreds of thousands of Jewish survivors sought refuge in historic Palestine, a land sacred to Muslims, Christians and Jews alike.
1: The General Assembly of the United Nations has made its decision on Palestine.
0: In 1947, the United Nations proposed a partition plan for Palestine aiming to create separate Jewish and Arab states. This proposal was rejected by the Palestinians, who were in the majority. The following year, the State of Israel was established, an event that led to the displacement of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians and triggered the first Arab-Israeli war. This was a crucial juncture in Middle Eastern history, significantly shaping the region's political landscape and ever since, millions of Palestinians have become refugees. For over seven decades, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees in the Near East, or UNRWA, has provided many with health care, education and various social services. But Israel's war on Gaza, ongoing since the Hamas attack in southern Israel on the 7th of October, has severely impacted the agency. Israeli airstrikes have hit tens of UNRWA's facilities and killed over 130 of its humanitarian workers, raising critical questions about the viability of the agency's continued operation under such challenging conditions. UNRWA's efforts were recognized at the Doha Forum 2023, and that's where we caught up with its Commissioner-General. Philippe Lazzarini talks to Al Jazeera. Philippe Lazzarini, the Commissioner-General of UNRWA, that's the UN Relief and Works Agency, one of the oldest parts of the United Nations. Thank you for talking to Al Jazeera. As I said, your agency is one of the first that was set up in the United Nations. You say now these are some of the darkest days in its history. And you, yourself, have had a very long career as a humanitarian. You've worked in places like the Balkans, Rwanda, Somalia, South Sudan, Iraq. Have you seen anything like this anywhere else before
1: no by any account i haven't seen anything of this scale everything is absolutely unprecedented and staggering the number of people who have been killed imagine in 40 days more women and children killed than the number of civilians in the ukraine war the level of destruction it is said today that more than 60 percent of the infrastructure have been destroyed. The level of uh, displacement of the population, more than 90% of the population, has now been displaced and is now concentrated in the South. The number of UN staff which have been killed is absolutely unprecedented. The fact that we have more than 1 million uh, uh, displaced people in UN premises, uh, in school, completely overcrowded, is absolutely unprecedented. So by any account, I have never seen something like that. Conditions are absolutely appalling. The sanitary conditions are terrible. There is hardly clean water. You start even to have some sewage water appearing in this uh, shelter. Uh, I visited two weeks ago a family in one of the shelters. They were living in a kind of four square metres. They were sleeping on the floor without mattresses, without uh, any uh, uh, blankets, still wearing the same clothes than 50 days, uh, and basically spending the entire day to beg and find some food. And I was talking to the father, a father of uh, five children, and all of a sudden he burst into tears and said, But we feel completely humiliated. We feel treated like a human animal. And that was a few weeks ago, since the offensive in the south have started, the uh, offensive on Ranunis, and tens of additional thousands of people have been thrown on the road, are now going towards the south, and most of these people do not even have a place in this overcrowded
0: shelter. But they're not even shelters, some of them, are there, Because my understanding is over 90 of these places have been hit in the Israeli bombardment. You, I assume, share the coordinates of these places with the Israelis. Is there any excuse for places like this flying the UN flag to be hit? You are right.
1: And that shows that there is absolutely no safe space to be in the Gaza Strip. Uh, People first were asked to leave the north and they have been instructed to evacuate the north before uh, during the bombardment. They went to the south, but we have seen that the south... Was not safer. We, more than 30, 40% of the people who have been killed have been killed in the south. And the same applies with the UN. Indeed, it should be public infrastructure, the UN hospital, sheltering hundreds of thousands of people should be safe places. And we, as the UN, indeed, are providing the uh, uh, geolocalization to the Israeli and also to uh, the uh, uh, other. Uh, to the Hamas, everybody knows exactly where we are. And despite that, despite that, uh, UN premises sheltering civilians have been hit. And we had, until today, more than 270 people killed in these places uh, and nearly 1,000 people uh, injured.
0: When your agency was set up in 1949, it was set up under a mandate from the UN General Assembly, and you've now taken an unprecedented step of sending this letter to the president of the General Assembly, um, raising the alarm, uh, saying that you now don't have the ability to carry out your work as you want. You say it's severely limited. In the letter, let me just quote, In my 35 years in complex emergencies, I've never written such a letter predicting the killing of my staff and the collapse of the mandate I'm expected to fulfil. Why did you write that letter and what do you hope the General Assembly can do? I report
1: back to the General Assembly. Uh, UNRWA has been created through a mandate of the General Assembly. And I do believe it is of utmost importance that the members of the General Assembly realise that if UNRWA collapses in uh, uh, Gaza, that uh, the Palestinian community will feel that this is the last betrayal of the international community. And basically, if we cannot operate, no one else will be able to provide humanitarian assistance to the two million uh, Gazan uh, currently in this uh, war zone. So my message was to say, if we collapse, I will not be able anymore to fulfill the mandate. And the situation is so severe that I also know that my staff uh, might not be able to operate anymore. I indicated in this letter that many of my staff now come with their children to walk because they are afraid not to see the children at the end of the day or at least to be sure that if they have to die,
0: they die together. Over 130 unworked workers killed. Those are people who worked for you. Is it hard sometimes to separate your feelings?
1: It's extremely hard. But I I tell you also a story. You know, the second time I went to Gaza, I asked... uh, one uh, staffer who, you know, has a PhD, was a senior manager, has his children at university, represented the kind of uh, upper middle class, uh, who basically, like anyone else in the Gaza Strip, uh, has lost everything. And his children, basically, are even questioning, why, Dad, did you send us to school and to learn all this uh, principle of uh, human rights? And I ask him, how do you do to be so composed? And the answer to me i'm not composed i just struggle 10 times a day i try to find a corner in this building to go
0: to cry i need to cry and if you look at the population of gaza more than a million people there are children when you look at the bombardment and that fact does it make you angry
1: what makes me angry is the indifference of the international community we 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 see this under our watch, uh, 24 hours a day, it's not that we don't know. And still, I feel that there is a lack of understanding, a lack of empathy, that in a certain extent, we have dehumanised all this to make the unbearable bearable. And this is what is really making me angry, or, but beyond that, also extremely worried. Because what does it tell if a society starts to properly lose its empathy? We are, by, by this,
0: we are losing our humanity. You've said that we may soon reach the point of no return in Gaza. If you look at the scale of destruction, which is immense, 60% of homes have been destroyed, 85% of the population has been forced from their homes. Has Gaza already been made uninhabitable? That's a very
1: good question there are facts on the ground which are being created which indeed might make gaza uninhabitable. i don't think that uh, conditions are met anytime soon for a large-scale return of the population uh, for example in the north the north has been completely destroyed and now the south is also being destroyed but beyond that you know there are a number of people who do not see their future anymore in gaza they have it they have it. Five conflicts, six conflicts in, uh, since 2005, and this one has been a massive blow for all of them. So they do not even necessarily see the future in the Gaza Strip. So we might have, uh, through this also, built or set up the condition for people not willing or being able to return.
0: Your boss, the UN Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, has warned that the situation creates increased pressure for mass displacement into Egypt. And let me also read you this quote from the humanitarian director of Oxfam, uh, the aid agency. We fear that masses of terrified people will be forced beyond Gaza itself under the guise of safety. And this would force the humanitarian system into an impossible choice between helping civilians and being complicit and they forced deportation. Do you agree with that point? Over the last two months, uh, people have been
1: already f- forced to move. Uh. They have been forced displacement from the north uh, to the south, uh, in the south, uh, to, into tinier, tiner, tinier area, which are areas which, by the way, cannot afford anymore to host uh, such a, land, a number of people. So I agree that the pressure today of people completely desperate, having absolutely nothing, nothing to lose, uh, might be such uh, that they might be tempted indeed uh, to cross the border, despite the fact uh, that a uh, number of countries have said that this would be a red line. We do not want this uh, forced uh, transfer of population outside the boundary of Gaza. But in reality, out of despair, if you have hundreds of thousands of people being uh, in Rafa, rough, uh, in the open and having no other alternative, they
0: might be tempted. Both you and the Secretary-General have warned of a complete collapse of public order. Just expand on that to me. What would that look
1: like? It has already started. It's a kind of lawlessness um, imaging. We, we, we had a situation where trucks started to enter into Gaza, but even before being able to reach their destination, being shelter where we have uh, uh, sh- shelter in Rafa, in Ragnonesa, uh, or even a warehouse. They have been stopped by hundreds of people uh, in the street, uh, hungry people, who basically stopped them and took the food. And we had the scene where once they have taken the food, it's not to take it home, but it was to eat it uh, on the spot. Uh, we hear more and more that uh, people, children, haven't eaten for the last uh, two or three days, for example. And we should not forget uh, that after two two months uh, of a conflict uh, and uh, two months of constant movement, two months uh, of uh, almost total siege and total depossession, the immunity of the people has also uh, drastically weakened.
0: You talk about the lack of food, which is clearly one of the huge problems there. It brings me on to two other big fears. One is starvation. The other is disease. Let's take those one by one. How worried are you about starvation in Gaza? I think there is hunger. We are not yet
1: on famine or starvation, but the hunger is really present now in Gaza. And it's new. It never, never, ever happened. I have talked to many of my colleagues who told me that they have never heard about hunger in Gaza. And this has become a reality today. You have more and more children or families who have to skip food for one day, possibly even for two days. That's the kind of situation we are encountering right now. If you look at the few remaining bakeries, you have queues of thousands of people every morning trying to struggle and to fight to get their love of bread. So that's the kind of situation we are dealing with today. And what about the risk of disease? What diseases are we talking about? I believe, and I have warned more than once, uh, that uh, people might start now to die, not just because of the bombardment and the military operation, but they will also start to die because of the impact uh, of the siege. And one of the impact of the siege uh, is the emergence uh, of a disease outbreak. Uh, We are witnessing now An increased waterborne diseases, a lot of diarrhoea uh, in extraordinary uh, unsanitary and appalling uh, 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 condition. Uh, We have seen also the emergence of hepatitis uh, and uh, quite a lot of uh, skin uh, um, diseases.
0: And there's not really a healthcare system anymore in Gaza, is there? I think 14 out of the 36 hospitals in the Gaza Strip are operating but only doing very, very basic services now. You, the UN, have warned throughout the two months of this conflict that hospitals have to be protected. It's one of the basic tenets of international humanitarian law. Yet Israel has repeatedly struck hospitals, targeted hospitals repeatedly. These are war crimes, aren't they? The determination of the crime
1: will be investigated later on by international legal bodies. But it is true that in international humanitarian law, uh, hospitals have to be respected, like civilians have to be respected. Uh, in this war, I know that the argument has always been but it is a war in a crowded urban uh, area. But that's the reason why in international humanitarian law you have the principle of uh, proportionality. Now, question is, can we still talk about proportionality when we talk about uh, the the staggering number we we mentioned before, about the number of people killed or the level of uh, destruction in uh, the Gaza Strip? Uh, Now, when it comes to hospital, uh, in French, I would say Sacro-Saint, that's the last uh, place which should be uh, uh, hit uh, in a conflict. Uh, It should be in the interest of anyone to keep medical facilities functioning, and unfortunately, this has not been the case. But we have seen also during this war, it was not only the hospital, but we were talking before about the UN premises. UN premises sheltering more than one million people have also been hit and people have been killed in these places.
0: What about the aid coming into Gaza? It seems to be a trickle compared with what is needed right now. Back in November, the UN Security Council did pass a resolution asking for aid to be scaled up. Explain to me what is the problem with why there are so few trucks coming in? I think the primary problem
1: is that a siege is imposed on Gaza. And uh, at the beginning, it was a total siege. And after that, we started to negotiate uh, a certain number of trucks coming into Gaza, which today, the good days, we might reach 150 to 200 But who trucks. decides that? That's the Israelis saying how many can that, come in. That's, that's on the Israeli side. That, uh, so the, they could
0: have allowed lot many more trucks in the, every stage if they the, wanted?
1: The siege has been decided and imposed by Israel. Then the crossing of Rafa has been opened. We see that the crossing of Rafa is, you know, the, the, the entry point uh, is a kind of a bottleneck. Uh, it cannot handle hundreds of trucks uh, like other crossing used to do. If there is a political will, Kerem Shalom could be open, could be a crossing. That's the, before... crossing, point, that's the crossing point from Israel into Gaza. Yes. Exactly. And before October 7th, that was the main crossing point uh, for commercial trucks uh, and humanitarian trucks, uh, Entering into Gaza. Hundreds of them were processed on a daily basis. And that was at the time of a blockade, as we all know. So if there is a will, Karim Shalom could be reopened and uh, the number of trucks entering into Gaza could significantly uh, increase. But and at any important... point,
0: any point in this conflict, Israel could have opened that crossing. It's a political decision by Israel not to do so.
1: There the, the might have been certain times during the conflict uh, that security would not have allowed the use of the crossing. But I do believe that the, the security environment in Karem Shalom was not completely different than the one in Rafah. So, again, yes, I think that if there is a proper political will, uh, Karem Shalom could be a crossing to be opened.
0: In the Security Council on the 7th of December, the Israeli ambassador. Gilad Erdan said, let me quote, there are currently hundreds of aid trucks in a logjam waiting to enter Gaza after security interception and the only reason they've not entered is because of the logistical difficulties of international organisations. He's blaming this on you, the UN and the Red Crescent.
1: Yeah, you know, there are quite a lot of uh, blame game, but the reality is that um, um, we have handled uh, any trucks uh, which uh, has been sent and crossed... uh, uh, the Rafa border. So there haven't been days where I heard uh, you, you, that 200 trucks were queuing and waiting to enter into Gaza because the UN was not in a position to handle the truck. And this is untrue.
0: The appalling situation in Gaza clearly overshadows what's going on in the West Bank. But if there wasn't a war in Gaza, we'd be talking about the West Bank, wouldn't we? Because there's a record number of Palestinians who've been killed by Israeli forces there and by settlers, and there have been homes destroyed both in the West Bank and in occupied East Jerusalem. What's, what's your view of the situation there right now?
1: Well, you, you, you are so true. If uh, the West Bank situation is overshadowed by uh, Gaza, the West Bank is boiling. There is a kind of uh, state of war taking place. Uh, uh, the number of people who have been uh, killed is also staggering compared to any previous year. It's a record year, in fact, the number of people having been killed. number of incursions also in the various uh, cities and camps uh, are almost uh, daily. We see also that the incursion, uh, the, the Israeli incursion in the camps for security operations are becoming more and more uh, uh, brutal because we see that... Uh, Uh, public infrastructure during security operation are also destroyed. But beyond that, what worries me also is that the West Bank is also on the edge of a total economic uh, collapse. We are ahead
0: of a perfect, perfect storm. Over the years, there have been quite a few stories that UNRWA has, has had to say are not true. Reports of anti-Semitic school books, of UNRWA facilities being used by Hamas. Recently, a ru- widely retweeted claim that an UNRWA t- teacher was one of the guards for Hamas uh, is Israeli captives. Do you think there's an organised campaign to discredit your organisation?
1: Oh, there is clearly organised campaign to discredit uh, the organisation. The aim, in reality, is to liquidate uh, the organisation, because there is a belief that uh, if UNRWA would not exist anymore, we would solve and address uh, the problem of the Palestinian refugees, and by addressing the problem of the Palestinian refugees, uh, we might uh, find an easier political solution in the future. So,
0: you Just have to this... be clear, that's because UNRWA operates in addition to Gaza and the West Bank in Jordan, Syria, Lebanon. And these are Palestinians or their descendants who who were forced from their homes uh, in 1948 or 1967. And that means you are a link to to these people who believe they have a right to return to their homeland. Is that right?
1: That's That's how the agency is also perceived by the Palestinian and the Palestinian refugees. But your question was on the detractor. And yes, indeed, they are orchestrated a campaign to try to discredit the agency. Even now, in the context of the Gaza war, look in the social media how many try to depict that UNRWA is nothing else than an Hamas organization. People keep saying that all our staff is affiliated to Hamas based on nothing, based on the fact that this orchestrated a
0: disinformation campaign. Finally, you, as we said at the beginning, have worked in this field for a very long time. One of your very first jobs uh, for the International Committee of the Red Cross was based in Gaza. Tell me about the spirit and resilience of the Palestinian people and how that is being tested right now.
1: You know, when I started thirteen years ago, It was the first intifada, it was at the time of the Madrid process. Um, It was tough because of the occupation, because of the intifada, but it was a period full of hope, full of hope, uh, of aspiration, of a better future. And at that time also, Palestinians of Gaza knew the Israeli and vice versa. In every household in Gaza, you had someone speaking in Hebrew and vice versa, Israelis speaking Arab. Now, 30 years later, a young person of Gaza doesn't know anymore how an Israeli looks like, and vice versa. An Israeli would not know how a person from Gaza looks like. And uh, over these last 30 years, uh, this separation has completely dehumanized uh, the relation between the Palestinian and the Israeli. And I don't think that this is a good recipe for the future of uh, uh, a two state uh, so- solution with two people. Uh, living as a ne- neighbor. They know to they need to know each other much better than that
0: Philippe Lazzarini commissioner-general of UNRWA. Thank you for talking to Al Jazeera.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Dear.